to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome or welcome back to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. So pleased you could join us today uh, for part two of our conversation with Andrew Bunt. Now, uh, for those of you who missed last month's conversation about sexuality, can I recommend that you hit pause on this podcast and go back and listen to the last one? Because I think we covered some key uh, things in that podcast, which really will help our conversation in this episode to make sense. So go back, listen to the uh, part one of our conversation with Andrew Bunn on, on, on sexuality uh, before you dive into this one on uh, gender identity uh, today. Hey, before I welcome back Andrew Bunt though, let me just tell you about Limitless One. I'm really excited for Limitless One in eight locations, one event, one Limitless family. It is an opportunity for young people all over the UK to come together in a location near you uh, for a fantastic youth event. We have a pre-show, we have worship, we have teaching, ministry, an opportunity for young people to respond to the gospel for the first time. And that's on the 12th of February 2022. It's only £5 a ticket, so go to limitlesselim.co.uk forward slash one, where you can find the full list of venues for Limitless One, so you can get to the location nearest to you, and you can also get your group booked in. That's going to be a fantastic time together at in eight locations, all at the same time. Uh, but that uh, is enough for me. Let's get on with the podcast, and welcome back Andrew Bunn. Andrew, welcome back to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. Hello, thank you. It's nice to be here again. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Now, uh, Andrew, in, in the last episode, um, you did share some of your own personal story, um, some of uh, your 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 own uh, wrestles and your own discipleship when it comes to you personally being same-sex attracted. Um, but there's a little bit of the story that you left out, wasn't there, Andrew, which is relevant to our conversation today around gender and gender identity. So why don't you tell us something of that? Yeah, so identity and kind of my yeah sense of who I am as a gender guy has been a kind of a area of confusion and battle for me, I guess. So I, um, I think I never kind of I fitted in with the guys. I guess as a kid, I was always gravitating to the girls, playing with the girls and stuff like that. And then there came a point, probably the end of primary school, where I really began to believe that even though externally I'm a boy, if I thought I was a boy, internally I believed I was a girl. And I remember it really vividly because I remember developing this fear that I'd become pregnant because clearly I didn't know how these things worked and my great secret would be found out. And I remember kind of this kind of this fear, this worry. I remember concluding, well, I'll just have to never get married. I'll just live with my parents all of my life because I really felt that inside I must be a girl even though my body said it was a boy, even though everyone kind of thought it was a boy. And as I grew up and kind of um, just kind of got into puberty and stuff, that, that went away naturally of its own accord. And that's not an unfamiliar or an uncommon experience for uh, a child to have uh, a real question about their gender identity, but for puberty to actually be something that brings resolution to that, for that to naturally go away. But even though that naturally went away, I actually still was left with this sense of not really making the cuts as a, as a guy, as a man. I didn't believe I was a girl, but I just didn't really feel I fitted in with the guys. I didn't feel like a, a real man. I still kind of wanted to be with the girls, not with the girl, with the guys. And that kind of extended through my teen years, even up into my 20s, you know, stank dudes and my utter worst nightmare, kind of being in a group of all guys <laughs> doing things deemed very traditional masculine. I basically, frankly, would usually avoid them. And actually, no one knew it, but I was secretly harboring a desire that one of my girlfriends would invite me to their Hindu. But that sounded great to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there was actually this sense I wanted to be Although I didn't want to be a girl necessarily, I wanted to be in the girls' group, not the guys' group. I used to say things like, oh, he would say that, he's a guy. I'd be talking to a female friend, he would say that, he's a guy. Which is clearly saying, the guys are over there like that. We're over here like yeah, this. Yeah, okay, yeah. And so only really in recent years have um, we worked through that. I was having Christian counselling for a number of years to, to deal with the number of, kind of mental health battles I was having and realised that a big part of that was my identity, my perception of myself. And part of that was this thing of really not feeling I believed I was uh, a real man. And I, I, I really came to realise I've got a problem. But one day I was sat in the gym and there was a mirror opposite me. 
and I was looking at myself in the mirror as well as going through counselling. And I started to try and say uh, of myself that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made by God. I'm made in God's mm. image as a man. I just, I literally couldn't do it. I couldn't look at myself in the eyes, mm. it were, and say I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, including that I'm a man, which is kind of the point I thought, oh, I've got an issue, I need to deal with this. <clears throat> but graciously then, God help me work through that, and, and we'll come to this in more detail later, I'm sure, realising that the Bible says I'm a man because God's created me as a man, and he says I'm a man. Not because I fit some little box of what it means to be a man. Not because mm. I'm like other men I know. Not because I like rugby or beer or the kind of things to do with stag dues. Mm. That's not what makes me a man. I yeah. am a man because God says I am, and therefore I've got the freedom to have the likes and dislikes and the personality I have. It doesn't matter that I'm a bit flamboyant or I love Downton Abbey and afternoon tea and stuff like that. It doesn't change the fact that I'm a man because God says I'm a man. So it's just been a wonderful journey of finding real freedom in knowing who I am, which gives me the freedom to be actually kind of how I am. Mm. And yeah, I'm just re- really grateful for your, your your vulnerability and your transparency in, in sharing that story because it leans really into a lot of the wrestles that our young people in our youth ministries right now are engaging with, but perhaps would be uh, like in 2022, (laughs) encouraged to work that out in a very different way Mm. to how you did. And we will come to that shortly. I just think though, Andrew, what would be really helpful as we engage in this conversation is if we could just like almost like pause for a moment, keep keep your story in mind and we'll come back to some of those things and, and drill into them a little deeper in, in, in a few moments. But just before we begin the conversation, I think it would be helpful just to unpack some of the terms that not all of our listeners will necessarily be familiar with. Perhaps they hear their young people talking about them uh, and are not exactly sure what, what some of them mean. I'm thinking of, of, of you know, what, what, what do we mean by transgender? What do we mean by cisgender? Uh, what do we mean by gender neutral or gender non-binary? What is gender dysphoria, for example, and so on and, and so forth? So maybe you could just unpack some of those key terms so that as we go through the conversation, we've got a clear understanding of what we're talking about and that is so important i think understanding is the first step of this conversation it often isn't there very well so that is the place to start yeah. so the most important term i guess the big overriding term is transgender so stonewall one of the biggest lgbt charities in the uk defined transgender as an umbrella term to describe people whose gender is not the same as or does not sit comfortably with the sex they're assigned at birth. So there are two things in there. There's sex assigned at birth. That's what your body says about who you are, whether your body says you're a boy or a girl, a male or a female, which for the vast majority of people is clear from the body. Some very rare in sex cases, there's some ambiguity. The vast majority of us, biological sex is really clear. Yeah. But then there's a the different thing, what they call gender we might call gender identity or experience gender, which is kind of our internal sense of who we are, our sense of do we feel that we're a man or woman? Do we inside believe we're a man or woman or neither or kind of somewhere in between? And transgender describes an experience where those two things are in conflict or um, not quite aligning, there's some sort of tension between them. And so it's an umbrella term, a broad term for lots of different experiences of that disconnect and expressions of that disconnect. So would it be fair to say, Andrew, that for many generations, sex and gender were basically interchangeable terms, but, you know, expedited in the last decade or two has been the separation of those terms to be sexes to do with your genitalia, essentially, and but gender is is more interconnected with your identity or your 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 perceived or felt experience of gender and they've become separate only really in recent decades would that be fair to say pretty much yeah gender is a really annoying word because it's used in very different ways and different things but as as we're talking about it's the internal sense of self yes which is all part of the general move that's happened kind of um, i guess uh, enlightenment onwards of an inward turns so looking to our yeah. inward self and really it started more than a couple of decades now i guess 40, 50 years ago in um, well, yeah. fem- in feminism, really. So really it was feminism that began to separate um, true self and the body. And this is just the kind of natural outworking mm. um, of that. So Judith Butler, if anyone's heard of her, it's kind of a big name. Actually, it's recently been in the news for various things uh, linked to this. Yeah, so that separation has come. So it is a relatively new, new thing. Uh, okay, 
let's keep going on some of the terms then. So that's uh, that's transgender, that's that's sex, that's gender. Keep get, keep going. Yeah. And so the in a sense opposite, the inverse of transgender is cisgender. So when someone's biological sex and their internal sense of self, their gender identity, um, align kind of match up, you then get um, various non-binary identities. So a binary, you know, is either or this or that, male or female is a binary. Um, You then get various non-binary identities, which kind of fall somewhere between the two. They basically say it's not a this or that thing. There's a a spectrum. So someone who's non-binary would just feel they don't fit in either the they don't feel they're a man or a male or female. Um, you might then get someone who's gender fluid, actually, who would agree that gender isn't binary and feel that actually their their sense of who they are changes. That one day they feel more masculine, another day they feel more feminine. That kind of changes that moves around. A gender would be somebody who is uh, feels themselves to be without gender, uh, have no gendered experience. They don't feel themselves to be a- a- any of those um, kind of things, any of those kind of categories. Um, I think while there are helpful ones to say, all of these fall under this transgender umbrella, all these kind of expressions. Um, is there a difference between gender non-binary and gender neutral? Are they interchangeable terms? Uh, I guess I guess gender non-binary is a sense of you are somewhere on the spectrum, even if you might move, gender neutral will be okay. No yeah. gender. I think I mean yeah. to be honest, with all the no, there's a proliferation of terms. Yes. And different people use them differently. Right. So it's it's not it doesn't quite mean what you want it to mean, but they're probably quite broadly defined. So why I pause because who you know, who's the authority in the meaning of sense? And that and that's a fascinating thing actually among young people, actually yeah. the creation of new terms, actually and new ideas. And the facts, we probably think we think we can define ourselves. And then just to throw in there uh, into the mix, the idea of being pansexual, which has to do with who you're attracted to. And it's different uh, to being bisexual because it means that um, sex, gender or gender identity doesn't influence who you find attractive, but there's a fluidity there. So I guess sexual fluidity as an overriding term is one that really accurately describes this generation of young people where they don't want to be boxed in or restricted by labels. They just want to be able to express their sexuality as they feel it, when they feel it, how they feel it without having to prescribe to certain labels. The kind the irony of that is, as you said, is is that with a trying to break free from labels, there's been a pro- proliferation of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think this one then is really critical, maybe just to spend a little bit more time with, and that's then the agenda of the idea of gender dysphoria. Could you talk mm. about that? Gender dysphoria, technically speaking, is the medical diagnosis that can be given if transgender experience causes distress. So if in some way, someone experiences a a disconnect, a a conflict, a tension between their biological sex, what their body says, and their internal sense of self, their gender identity, if that then causes them distress, that can lead to a medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria. And so it's the, I mean, there are various um, criteria to diagnosis, but the distress is the key thing. We, Mm. we, the, the diagnosis have changed over time. We're now at the place where the very experience of that disconnect, that tension, that conflict isn't a diagnosable issue, but if it's causing you distress, then that is. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. And that's a, that's a very real thing that yeah. some of our young people will be experiencing and, and how we engage with that pastorally is, is, is a conversation that we'll, we'll come to, isn't it? But it's, I think it's important to, to, to acknowledge that, that, you know, that, that is, is real and we've got to learn how to engage with that. Um, Yes, and then, I, and then I guess we 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 get to um, gender reassignment or transsexual, which is again different. So, could you uh, um, unpick those terms for us? Yeah. So, so gender reassignment would be, uh, or, or transitioning would be the the move to live in line of internal gender identity rather than biological sex. So, gender reassignment or and transition, you might start with a um, a social transition, a change of name clothes pronouns those little words like he yeah. and she you might then move into um medical transition which might be puberty blockers to stop the natural onset of puberty hormones cross-sex hormones to have yeah. the hormones of the sex you're now identifying with to bring to change secondary sex characteristics and the sur- third stage might be surgical interventions uh, of various forms depending on how someone is um transitioning 
sex reassignment is one of the terms that a, a favoured term now actually is a sex uh, kind of affirmation surgery in the sense actually it's affirming who someone uh, really right. is okay. rather than saying there's kind of a real um, a, a real change um, taking place in it. Yeah, and then transsexual would then oh, yeah, be somebody who's gone through that process m- medically. Uh, yeah, so, so, yeah. yeah, so technically speaking, transsexual is someone who's, yeah, medically transitioned. So so trans, yeah. the word, or the prefix trans means to kind of go across or uh, be of the other. So they have their, their sex, their biological sex has been changed in part through these things. So they're now transsexual, not just transgender. It's not just their internal yes. sense yeah. of self. However, and so although it's a technical term for that, it's now deemed to be a term, it's a term not used very often and is deemed not quite offensive, but certainly old fashioned and is okay. often used in an offensive ways. So basically it's a term best avoided unless someone chooses to use it for themselves. Of themselves, right. Really, uh, really helpful kind of setup for the, the conversation there, Andrew. So I guess the question is, what's going on? Uh, <laughs> what, what's happening here amongst young people in, in particular? Mm. Like in, in our own youth group, we've got a, a bunch of people who have changed their pronouns change their names to gender neutral names um and like it's something that when i was in my youth group 20 years ago it was just totally and utterly on unheard of um i wouldn't have known any of these terms i wouldn't have even conceived of these things as a possibility and just two decades later my youth group is full of young people who are um questioning wrestling with their gender identity i i uh, are transgender in some way are identifying with a gender uh, other than that to which they were assigned at birth so what has happened what 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 do you see as is going on culturally like right now around gender yeah. and gender identity i guess it's kind of different there's different what's one one is the very basic thing of happening what's happening in terms of numbers and such like so we are we have seen a humongous increase in the number of young people teenagers especially identifying as trans um coming forward as experiencing gender dysphoria so so tavistock which is the, uh, yeah. the only really nhs um gender identity clinic uh, for under 18s gives the general identity development service across between 2009 to 2019 saw a 1400 percent increase in biological males being referred to them and a 5,000 and something increase in biological females. I mean, that's a humongous wow. increase in 10 years. So something I come in, something like in 2009, there were kind of 390 referrals. 2019, it's multiple, multiple thousands. And it's a huge, huge <laughs> yeah, change. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a numbers man. No, um, me neither. So, so what's happening is a huge, but then and that's just the people at the clinic. And actually then, as you say, we're all going to know young people who to varying degrees are identifying as trans or non-binary changing kind of premise stuff so so on on the raw observation of what's happening that is happening another what you can say is what is happening is there's been this separation between the body and the true self that's just yeah. worth you know, yeah p- part of the question of how has this happened part of it is that now there's still questions to be asked of is that the right thing to do or not but that's just important to notice so why to our young people does this seem so understandable when as you're saying when you and i used groups a few decades ago no one would have thought this, and I don't think it would have made much sense to us. It's because we've reached such a stage of the internal true self, as it's deemed, and the body being separated. But then the more tricky what question is kind of, well, is that how do we understand this? How do we explain this? Mm-hmm. What's actually happening? And I guess in a sense, there are two views on that. When you look at these figures, which raise the questions of what's happening, why it's happening, good questions we should ask, two views. One is what we might call the diversity perspective. The diversity perspective says what's happening is we all have an internal gender identity. That's a fundamental part of who we are. We can say it's an ontological reality. It's part of our very being. That's always been there. Every person has that. And what's happening is because culture is becoming more accepting of transgender experience and transgender people, many more people who have that internal experience are coming forward and seeking help and being open about that. So they would say nothing much is changing necessarily. This has always been the case, 
just now we have the language to talk about it. Now we have the freedom and we feel safe to talk about it. And they would be the people who say, yes, what you feel inside really is who you are. Their approach would tend to be, yes, of course you should transition. Yes, puberty blockers, yes, hormones, yes, surgery, yes, social transition, all this kind of stuff. And they would just see it as part of the beautiful diversity of humanity. So that's the diversity perspective on the one side. But then the other side, there's what I kind of dub the disability perspective, or I don't like the term, I need to find a better term for it really, which says that actually gender dysphoria and that sense of um, discomfort is an example of something being not quite right in our experience of life, which all of us have in lots of different ways at different times. And so the question becomes, why is what is gender dysphoria and why is it there? And the approach becomes to explore gender dysphoria, to seek to help someone certainly to reduce the distress at very least and to find a level of peace with their body and therefore to avoid, avoid um, kind of big invasive life-altering medical interventions. People in this perspective would often say it seems to be that there are often other factors lying behind gender dysphoria. It could be internalized homophobia. It could be the effect of trauma in the past. It could be the impact of stereotypes and feeling not fitting in. It could mm. be just that actually mm. teenagers, most teenagers, we could all relate probably, feel a sense of disease in life. Things not being quite right. It's not quite, you know, this uncomfortableness. And young people have always gravitated to groups to find peace in that and to explanations for that, mm. such as the, at one point it was being a goth was kind of a thing people would go to is to find a group, a community, a sense of self in that. Some people think that transgender is currently kind of the popular explanation for this dis-ease, this discomfort they're feeling and the sense of community they want. And many times you hear the story of, well, I had kind of this general sense of not quite feeling... Uh, Myself, a sense of disease, didn't quite know what it kind of was. Then I saw these YouTubers who were talking about the fact they're trans, and I realized that's me. And you can hear what's happening. There's this general teenage disease, and actually they hear a narrative that they're told explains that, and suddenly that's me, that makes sense. Yeah. So this view would yeah. be much more that actually we should help young people to explore why they're experiencing this sense of discomfort, to seek to reduce the discomfort, to avoid and really not to go near very life-altering invasive things which happen with transitioning yeah and uh, yeah just to comment on that and i undoubtedly will be lambasted for saying this um because it's not really something that's acceptable to say but i work closely enough with young people to know it's true and that is that as you've alluded to there there are some young people i work with who generally gen genuinely experience gender dysphoria there's a genuine sense, as you described in your own life, of um, discomfort uh, between, you know, the, I guess sensing an incongruence between their um, sex at birth and their uh, sense of gender identity. That is true. Mm. But then there are also, undoubtedly in my mind, young people who um, are basically teenagers whose brain development is like going through rapid changes, whose hormonal and physical development is going through rapid changes, and who, like every teenager ever, are looking for something and somewhere in which to hook their identity. And where it used to be that, you know, like when when I was a teenager, you'd kind of go all emo and wear black and white and studded belts... <laughs> Um, or you'd be like in the sporty crew and you'd do that thing or you, you, you'd, you you know, or maybe if you were really wild, you'd kind of get like a load of piercings and like, you know, a, a legal tattoo. Like you would find, you would find a, a way to do that. Well, well, subscribing to a, a kind of like a, a, a transgender identity has basically become an option for some young people in which to like, have an outlet for that teenage thing and i know i'll get lambasted for saying that but it's undoubtedly true like i've, I've worked with enough young people to know that oh it's like oh my friends are um identifying as trans and they seem to be really kind of fulfilled and they've got a kind of little crew going and so i'm going to do that as well um and that doesn't that's not to undermine the experience of unease that that mm. teenager is feeling but every teenager ever feels uncomfortable 
with their body <laughs> and with yeah. and with their own sense of who they are and, and identity. And so um, forgive me if there's not enough nuance um, in the way I've put that for some people, but, you know, I'm just saying it as I see it, really. And I'm sure that many of the leaders listening uh, will recognise that t- t- to be mm. true of young people in their youth group as well. And so I guess the question that I want to ask you off the back of that Um, Andrew, is do you perceive there is a danger in which uh, is potentially now presented to young people going through a lot of changes, a lot of uncertainty, um, where essentially it's become really easy. We have made it um, as a culture really easy for a a teenager or even actually, actually a young child to at that stage of their life um make massive like like kind of decisions that will impact potentially the whole rest of their lives when it comes to their gender and their gender identity do you see like there's would you urge some caution is do you see some danger associated with that what what's your perspective on that andrew Definitely, yeah. I mean, different people are different using how easy it is because on one level, all the waiting lists now for the gender clinics are so huge. I think Tavistock may not even be taking referrals, the waiting list is so huge. So it's pretty hard to get to the medical stage actually now. Um, but then there's huge stuff going about Tavistock at the moment about the fact they've just rushed people through transition. They've not done psychological assessments. They've not offered non-invasive solutions. And so we have made it very easy for young people to stop puberty to take across sex hormones, to have the breast yeah. removed and stuff, and, and put them on treatment we don't know what it is. So the courts have ruled that puberty blockers are experimental drugs. We don't know the effects on brain development, on bone density, all sorts. And what we are seeing, we're, we're, we're enough years into this now, uh, with that kind of 10-year increase, we're seeing the first batch of young people who have transitioned, have reached yeah. the early 20s, have had a few years of tra- being transitioned and realise it's really not met the needs they thought it would. It's really not done what they hoped. And so we have this whole group now um, bravely emerging of detransitioners. Uh, a lot of it is biological females in their early 20s who were within that huge number, that 5,000% increase um, transitioned, whether just socially, whether through often through hormones and surgeries, found yeah. it didn't actually solve the problems they thought it would, realised actually they're much better resolving themselves to their body now have to live often with the life-altering or lifelong impacts of right. uh, certain stuff, infertility, different manner of things they kind of live with. Medical services aren't prepared to help detransitioners. There's no way, really, particularly, there's no medical support for detransitioners at this point. So yeah. It's a really, really sad situation. Yeah, and I, to see the collateral damage. Yeah, because I, I remember seeing, like, a few months back on um, Sky News, an interview with a young person who's in just that position you described and they were saying like why didn't somebody challenge me like why didn't somebody say hey you know slow down here let's think about this you know why why was the only message that i received an encouragement to go about my gender reassignment and i think it's because of the narrow paradigms in which we are now allowed to think and speak. Mm. Like I'm not allowed to say what I just said earlier on. That's culturally un- un- unacceptable. I'm totally aware of that. But if we are afraid to have some of these conversations, then we end up with the stories that that you've just described uh, of like re- serious damage being done to young people who just haven't been given the opportunity to to pause and to think and to like wrestle with their identity and have only been encouraged and we are we are we're afraid to say hey maybe maybe you know puberty blockers or maybe hormone treatment isn't the right path for you right now because the culture in which we live just doesn't allow us to say it because it will be labeled as oppressive or repressive um and it's just so it's it's i feel like so sad you know it's very sad yeah just just talking are, about the, yeah go on yeah. go on we are we are literally conducting experiment on children and it will, will be something that in a few decades time we will look back and we will weep as a society at how badly we treated these children how little care we took of them and the fact there will be countless particularly women who are infertile who may have bone density issues who may have susceptibility to various diseases because we 
didn't treat them like we should treat children and teenagers, which is saying not everything you feel is right. Yes. And actually, you're not at a stage in your life where you're able to make the decisions. And our role as those who love and care for you as adults, as medical professionals, is to help make sure the right steps are taken for you, not just what you want to happen. And I think it'll be awful. But the, 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 the slight silver lining I kind of see is I've said for years, the point will come where this falls apart. The point will come where we realise what we've done and we change. And it is happening quicker than I thought it would. Okay. So brave, very brave people are speaking out, are, you know, we've had several significant high court cases challenging what's happening, even against the context of, you know, death threats and all sorts. And we're not there yet, but we're making progress. So, so for example, Tavistock now have stopped all um, uh, new referral or new uh, prescriptions of puberty blockers because the courts have ruled that they're experimental and under 16 year olds are not capable of making the decision themselves and a court should be involved in that decision. That's a really good thing. That is safeguarding young people. That's a really good thing. Mm. And there is an official review going on of uh, Tavistock on the General Energy Development Service and stuff. So we're at a key point really. And I, I do have hope that this is gonna change in the next few years. It's always slow as these things are, but sadly there's a good 10, 15 years of damage behind us still already yeah and i think there's a thing isn't there as well where like because of that whole narrative and because of how aggressive um and prescribed and narrow that narrative is um around trans issues particularly um parents have been completely disempowered yeah so like um if my like seven-year-old was like, yeah, dad, I'm going to get a tattoo. I would say, no, that would be the end of it. Yeah. But I live in a world in which if my seven-year-old said, you know, actually, I want to start identifying as, as a girl and I want you to call me this, like, I would be, like, seriously brought into question if I said no outright mm -hmm. to my child. You, and, and so there's a thing here where, like, parents aren't allowed to be parents. The reason we have parents apart from the obviously the biological implication of that is that that we they're able to help us journey the difficult formative years of childhood and help us to become healthy adults yeah. and that means helping them to think about their decisions but sometimes it also means making decisions for them even then they don't want you to No, you can't stay up until midnight on a school night even if you want to that is a decision i'm making on your behalf as a parent yeah. that's what parents do Absolutely. and yet with something as like life-altering as gender identity it's like parents aren't allowed to do that anymore um yeah it's actually one of my pediatrician friends who works in this area has this says two really helpful things she says one is somehow parents have been told to switch off their common sense when it comes to parenting around this issue and especially parenting trans and identified teens. And so their, their reassurance to trans to parents of trans and identified teens is just use your common sense, do good parenting. You know, yeah. we, we kind of we panic, we panic about these issues. We think we have no idea what to do. You know a lot more than you think you do. Just use some common sense care parenting thing. The other really helpful thing she says is, we all know that our kids, especially our teenage kids, a lot of the time don't like us. And that's okay. It's not our yeah. job. It's, it's our job to make sure they know they're loved and they're safe. And so it's their job, our job to make sure that they know that when we make decisions they don't like, it will be for their good. It is because we love them. They, that secure position is vitally important, but it is not our job to make them think or make them like us all the time. Yeah. And actually it is our job to protect them by making decisions that sometimes really won't like yeah and i just wish again it's common sense as you're saying it's common sense parenting yet somehow in this particular area we've often switched off yeah and so you know the the implication then for our conversation is um like pastorally and in terms of discipleship how do we how do we talk with young people who um are genuinely suffering from gender dysphoria how, how do we work with young people who've maybe kind of pick this up as something in which to hook their identity mm. even if perhaps they don't have that 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 sense of ambiguity about th th their gender and that's kind of tricky because you know is that for us to discern probably not you, you'll have a perspective on that but i feel like we've maybe just kind of let the conversation get away with us a little bit because <laughs> the thing we haven't talked about and the foundation that we have to build this on and so we will come back to those questions andrew is you know, what's your understanding of what scripture has to say about this? Because I think, you know, 
I, I don't think I necessarily believe what I'm about to say, but um, one might say, well, with our conversation last month, um, uh, scripture is really explicit and consistent when it comes to uh, sexuality and same-sex uh, uh, practice and so on. But it's not so explicit uh, when it comes to gender and gender identity. Um, uh, and for somebody who would think, you know, that the scripture doesn't have much to say about gender or gender identity, where would you point us? What's your understanding of what the scripture does have to say about these issues? It's helpful always, I think, to boil things down to what is the key question. And the key question in this is what dictates who we really are? What really is the essence of us? If I experience a conflict between what my body says and what I feel inside, which one gets to determine who I am? It's really a similar question to what we talked about last month, actually. It's how yeah. do I find who I am? I reason mm-hmm. that's the kind of the, the clincher to it. So, so biblically, this is how I explore. Well, actually, biblically, I start actually from the position of realizing whether there is kind of um, that deeper experience of gender dysphoria, uh, which which you to help with experience these two things. And often, basically, childhood gender dysphoria often is the kind of historic type that's always been around more. What they call rapid onset gender dysphoria suddenly appears in teenage years. It's more what you're talking about about yeah. um, this thing. Either way, both of them are experience of distress, even if they're different, might be different levels or whatever, which means our first response actually is to seek to um, reflect and convey the heart of God, which is a heart of compassion towards suffering. Anytime Jesus yeah, came in terms yeah, of suffering, yeah, we're yeah. often told he was moved deeply. It's fascinating. We're told when Jesus encounters people who are suffering, we're told about his internal kind of gut reaction, heart reaction yeah. for anything he does. And that's very instructive. So we must start there. And, and with this topic, I always want to affirm that because Christians I think, have made progress on this in terms of sexuality. Some Christians have not made progress in this terms of gender. Mm. And I still hear horrifying stories of how trans people are treated in very well-respected UK churches in a way I don't believe gay people are treated, but people don't get trans and people still do it. So, so, so mm. we do get to a biblical thing. What does it say about who we are? But actually we just can't stop. We can't um, get there until we've done the heart stuff. Why talk about a heart response? Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Head response. So true. We then come to the head response. And I say that key question really is what dictates who I am? What my body says, what I feel inside. It is basically the question, how do I find who I am? Our culture tells us that what we find inside is who we are. I don't think, and we talked in the last podcast, you know, point people there about the fact that our culture tells us that all the time, different places we see that, and our sexuality, our sexual orientation, and our gender identity are the two key examples of that that our yeah. culture kind of prioritizes. But we talked last month about the fact that way of making identity just doesn't really work. And again, it puts huge pressure on us actually to, to discern who, who really am I. There was a guiding article interviewing four different non-binary people, and one 18-year-old called River um, commented that they have identified as non-binary for a couple of years, but they haven't yet told their family because they were worried that at some point in the future it might change and it would be difficult to have to talk to them about it again. I thought, how sad that this 18-year-old for two years had lived with the pressure of wrestling with who they are and hasn't even felt comfortable to tell their own family about this mm. because they have this pressure. Is this really how, what if it changes? It's right, a terrible, right, right. terrible yep. way of making identity. And there's other reasons as well. So that doesn't tell us who we are. And then what does? Well, biblically, we come back to you, God tells us who we are. And when it comes to our identity as men and women, God tells us who we are through our body. It's really striking in Genesis 1, Genesis one twenty seven. God creates us in his image. It is the key thing. God creates us yeah. in his image and he creates us man and female. And that parallel is really important. The image of God is an identity given to us. It's solid, it's static, it can't change. We're created in God's image because that's what again, so he's given to us. And in parallel, he gives to us the image of being male and female or be the identity of being male or female, being a man or woman. And that is given to us in our bodies. We see it in the next verse, male and female, he created them. The very next verse, Genesis 128, is about being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth. How do you do that? You get a man and a woman together. What dictates biologically, scientifically, the only way scientifically to classify male and female is the reproductive system. Large gametes and small gametes is what your scientists will tell you. The Bible matches exactly with modern science. This is the only way to determine a man or a woman is how the body is orientated 
towards reproduction. It is that part of our body, that system within our body, which indicates to us no matter what, it's the only truly binary either or part of our body. So then the question becomes, okay, so the body given by God tells us who we are, but what's it look like to live that out? If I, as a male, I'm called to live as a man, which I believe is what the Bible talk says, because it on the few occasions where it talks about it, it speaks against kind of cross-sex behavior or seeking to portray oneself as or appear to be of the opposite sex. So I, as a male, am called to be a man. What does that mean? And this is where we often get difficulties. People instinctively yeah. assume, well, it means I've got to fit into the man box and like this stuff and yeah. fit in the girl box. And in churches, we've done a lot of that, these kind of stereotypes, which are how people often are, we make it how people should be. But that's just not what the Bible says. I think yeah. the Bible says we're meant to present who we are as a man or woman in our external presentation, which is part of that thing of not deceiving other people as to who we are and kind of be able to celebrate the diversity of male and female amongst us. I personally think Christians would disagree. There are different roles in men and women in a marriage context and in church leadership. Beyond that, I can't see anything in scripture that dictates how we're to live as a man or woman. That gives us the freedom to be how we are without changing who we are. This was the revelation for me. Actually, mm. living mm. as a man because I'm a male doesn't mean liking all the stuff guys like whether yeah. I can embrace how I am. It doesn't change that. And that, so that, I think it's the biblical position of who are we how do we live that out i think for some young people that could be hugely um free actually for some people i've had loads of adults tell us how freeing it is to realize that it's amazing how many people live with the sense of not really making the cut i don't think that immediately solves all the problems for all young people experiencing gender dysphoria identify as trans but i do think it's the first step and what it does yeah. really is it puts us in the diversity perspective. The diversity perspective sees transgender experience not as identity, as the, the um, sorry, puts us in the disability perspective. It sees trans not as identity, as the diversity perspective does, but trans as suffering. Both the Bible and science and many medical professionals now are seeing gender dysphoria as suffering. So the question wow. then becomes, how do we help people suffer? So I think you have a heart response, a head response, but then you need a hope response which is how do we take the many resources the Bible gives us to help people who are suffering and to support them and move forward in that? That's so good. A heart response, a head response, and a hope response. And there's a couple of implications from what you said there that I feel like we must drill down a little more into. Uh, I'll start with the first one. So if theologically speaking, you're saying, you know, Genesis 127, uh, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them that is God's intention, that that is God's creation ordinance, that essentially, you know, let's say explicitly that gender is binary. Does that mean then that our job pastorally is not to aid, aid a young person's reassignment of gender, be that socially or otherwise, but to help them feel confident and comfortable in their gender at birth? Is that ultimately our objective to help them, um, uh, I guess, what, what's the word I'm looking for, to, to, to help them feel that congruence, to help them feel that sense of, uh, yeah, comfort and um, assurance in, in who they are? Is, is that what we're trying to do? And if it's not, what is our objective? I think I want to say almost, and because of the conversation, again, point professor, last time we had about conversion therapy, I wanted to help people think through how to navigate this very carefully. What I'd want to say is our job as pastors, as youth leaders, is to call people who are followers of Jesus to obedience to Jesus. Yeah. Which means if you're a biological male living as a man, biological female living as a woman, that doesn't necessitate a change of what you feel inside. Some people yeah. will live with gender dysphoria. I know Christians who live with gender dysphoria, who live with a, a deep discomfort with their biological sex all their life but who choose to be faithful to jesus in the way they live their lives now in one sense we long to see people have the kind of resolution you're talking about because we rightly don't want people to live with suffering yeah. we want people we would rather people experience um wholeness and wellness than suffering but that's what jesus calls us to is obedience and sometimes mm -hmm. obedience doesn't bring end to suffering which is why disability maybe is a helpful way actually of describing this we can think of other examples where god could end someone's physical suffering some yeah, way yeah, in which yeah, their, yeah. their their, their body affects them or, or limits them brings pain into their lives sometimes wonderfully mercifully he intervenes to be healing this life sometimes he doesn't and that healing awakes the new life but the call wherever we are 
is faithfulness to Jesus. Mm. So, and I, I do think that, and there are psychologists who think that psychological intervention, exploring some of the potential contributing factors to gender dysphoria, can for some people bring resolution and comfort with their body. For others, it's kind of more a middle road. They find they find non-invasive ways of managing their dysphoria. So a lot of the detransitioners we've talked about was actually there's still a level of dysphoria, but rather than actually chopping off bits of their body or having invasive medical uh, treatments, actually they found different ways to lessen and to manage and to cope with the dysphoria they still continue to experience. Yeah. So, so the goal of being obedient to Jesus, but then also where possible, helping reduce suffering is I think how I'd want to carefully phrase it Rather than, I don't think the Bible says you need, if you experience gender dysphoria, it's not saying that you need to experience a reintegration of your body, say, in the same way it doesn't say you need to stop experiencing same-sex attraction yeah, if you're same-sex okay. attracted. Yeah, really helpful, yeah. Re- Very re- nuanced, re- but boring. Yeah, no, it's, it is an important nuance, and it's really helpful, Andrew, thank you. And um, the other thing, that I just to draw out of what, what you said earlier about, I, I wonder, do you think that there is a... Uh, a necessity then in our discipleship to re uh, capture what we mean by like biblical biblical masculinity and biblical femininity and what we don't mean by that so yes. biblical masculinity isn't like you said you know watching rugby and drinking beer biblical femininity isn't you know get getting a facial and uh, having a cocktail or whatever it is you know stereo though and actually those stereotypes can actually be really harmful mm. in this discipleship because what we're saying is, well, if you if you are um, biologically male but you don't want to watch rugby and drink beer with your mates, then well, you must really be a woman. Do you know what I mean? Or or vice yeah, versa. It, 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 and and perhaps he, perhaps those stereotypes are creating the problem, and perhaps re-understanding what we mean by biblical masculinity, what it means to be a man. Uh, under God and what biblical femininity is and what it means to be a woman under God. Uh, these are things that will actually help us on this journey. It, it, would that be fair to say? Do you agree with definitely, that? Definitely, definitely. Stereotypes are a huge part of it. So I think in some cases with, with children, young people, stereotypes really are the main contributing factor. I think in my experience, why I think the reason I came to believe I must be a girl inside is because I so clearly didn't fit in the boy box and what other explanation could there yeah. be? There's yeah. not always that. So again, we want to... Uh, Trans experience is very diverse. It's not always that. And and just recognizing and getting stereotypes sorted doesn't solve the problem for everyone. That's important. But yeah, it is noticeable. Yeah, yeah. Stereotypes are kind of all that's left. If you're if you say, you know, if I, if I say I'm body male, I've got a male body, but I feel like a woman, what do I mean by that? What does it mean to feel like a woman? There's almost nothing other than stereotypes to define a man or a woman once you take away the body in reality. And so stereotypes really are key in this. And so you get ridiculous things like a, a father of a trans kid in a documentary who said, I knew my son was a girl when I saw him run. What? It's diagnosis by stereotypes. And that's so often the way. Wow. And if you look at if you look at the um the uh the, the DM5, so the um DMV uh, DM DSM-5, which is the uh, clinical handbook used to diagnose mental health conditions, including gender dysphoria, the criteria for children are kind of a strong preference for toys or clothes traditionally deemed to be of the opposite sex and stuff. It's just stereotypes. It's literally diagnosed with stereotypes. So, so yes, stereotypes is huge. Biblical masculinity, biblical femininity, terms personally I don't like because I don't think the Bible tells us what it means to be masculine or feminine. I think the Bible tells me that as a man or as a male, I need to present as a man. So that means within the parameters my culture agrees upon and kind of enacts presenting the facts to your man and the way I appear, my hairstyle, my clothes, all that kind of stuff. I think if I get married, it gives me a certain role. I think it dictates what roles I can or can't be involved in, in church leadership. I don't think there's anything else that what it means to be a man or woman. So I don't think there is biblical masculinity or femininity. I think there is a wonderful diversity that God has created within men or within masculinity, within males, within females. And I think the whole language of biblical masculinity, femininity or manhood and womanhood has been really unhelpful and really misleading and has been stereotypes. And generally speaking, it's basically taking a stereotype some of which are true. Stereotypes are generalizations. We stereotype things all the time, and it's helpful to have categories and generalizations. A stereotype as an observation of what is generally true is absolutely fine. Generally speaking, guys do like football more than girls do. That's just true. We all know that's true. 
that's very different to say guys should like football to be yes, a man okay. you need to be yeah so it's when we take the observations about generalizations and actually we make them dictates about what should be universal what the problems come and i think actually often that's what happened in biblical manhood and womanhood conversations right generally generally speaking men are physically stronger therefore generally speaking men should take a kind of protective kind of um position towards women but what about those of us who aren't physically stronger and therefore don't kind of fit into that uh, biblical manhood women just plays into the trans narrative we there was mm. one of those, uh, i was in a christian context and i didn't feel like a man because i was hearing what these things that were man men are like i'm like i don't think i'm like that so i really think we need to have a deep dive again into the conversation actually and realize our whole terms our whole concepts are wrong and unbiblical and unhelpful in my reading of scripture oh so helpful i'm learning a lot uh, andrew this this is really really good i we, we we will go further with the pastoral stuff but i've just got to ask you a really practical question okay um so what we've obviously quite quickly realized that in our youth group one thing we can't do anymore is a guys group and a girls group mm. so my practical question is this what about when it comes to issues in which young people who are cisgender will feel much more comfortable discussing in single sex groups so let's say we're going to do which we is something we would do regularly um probably once a year we're going to do we're going to have a conversation about pornography mm-hmm. um or maybe we're going to have a conversation about sex we're going to have a conversation about dating now there are certain things that you can say in mixed sex groups but there are it's definitely true to say that there are things that will come out in a single sex group in those conversations that won't if you are in a mixed sex groups because those who are um, cisgender and straight just won't say them it, it, like they won't want the girls to think that of them or they won't want the guys to think they won't want them to know about that or which you know so it's just a really practical question like in, in our youth groups now where um, we don't just have uh, binary uh, identifying genders in in that sense. How do we engage in some of those topics where yeah. traditionally it would have been helpful to be able to have the conversations in in, in single sex groups? What, what do we do there? I think taking a step back, I agree there are times when it might be helpful. I don't think there are many. So my so my and I, I still do this today. You know, I'm in a small group, and the conversation happened. We're going to speak to guys and girls. My first question is why. <laughs> I, I still don't always feel comfortable in a room just for guys, and I get yeah. on much better with girls often. If there's no reason, don't do it. Yeah. Step, step yeah. one. Yeah. We yeah. we have had these sessions sometimes with guys and girls, but I do agree sometimes there are reasons. And I like the way you put it. I I think what you said is particularly young people might well not share. You know mixed sex group yeah i don't think what you said is there aren't things we can say to a mixed sex group i don't think there are many things if any we couldn't teach to mixed sex group oh no yeah i'm 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 talking more about creating the space in which the young people feel which is helpful which i think the answer isn't i think the answer isn't too difficult i mean we'd actually be asking you the question you're the practitioner not me but i think i think what i would do is have at least three groups and let people choose you have an all male boy group or female girl group and a mixed group or you have more groups than that and people get to choose which one they go to because i think i probably as a teenager would have gone to the mixed group i don't want to be all the guys on my own that's good actually idea. yeah uh, uh, yeah so i think actually that one isn't so hard because they can choose and no one should miss out everyone can have a single test contest if they want to those who don't want to don't have to no one's forced to be in a position they might be uncomfortable with I would think that probably should be it's a great shout it's a great idea something that's definitely worth trying thanks obviously the problem you have is only one person goes to the mixed group yeah right okay yeah yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, fantastic okay so um, let's land with this then so we've got a young person uh, genuinely you know uh, really kind of suffering wrestling with that gender dysphoria however that it, they're they're presenting that whether they're you know um uh whether they're you know still identifying with their um sex at birth whether they are saying that they're gender fluid or gender non-binary or um identifying with the, the opposite gender to their their sex at birth however it is they're presenting there's clearly something going on with their gender identity um i love that framework 
of the heart response, the head response, the hope response. That was really, really helpful. But could you land that into some practical things as we journey with that young person? How do we do that effectively, fruitfully in a way that really helps that young person? Yeah, that, yeah, hopefully that framework really may help us here. So starting with a heart response, you want your relationship with them. You want your youth group, your church to be a context where they know they are safe to be, they're welcome to be, regardless of how they're identifying what they call themselves, what they're wearing either. Even, you know, as we said in our last podcast, we want those wrestling discussions to be able to take place mm-hmm. in our context and be a safe place. Uh, and one of the things young people are looking for, it comes across in a lot of the stories about trans, is to be loved and to be in community. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I found, and obviously the online trans community often becomes the place where suddenly they feel they belong in the community. So, so, so this being loved, being welcomed, being in community, so even like practical things like just encouraging good friendships between your youth is really powerful. What you don't want is that the only place a trans identifying teen can find real community is online as they gradually drift away and they're in that sound bubble, that echo chamber. What mm. you want is them to experience real community and friendship there. I think one of the ways we show compassion for um, for suffering and distress is just to listen to people, yeah. to seek to understand, you know, it's sitting with people in their pain. And that's just really, it's really powerful. It does actually do something. We think it's doing nothing. It does just do something. It speaks of our love. It speaks of our care because it's showing you're not an issue to be solved. We're not going to beat you over the head of what the Bible says. We're not just about molding you into who you want you to be. You're a person we love because Jesus loves you. And so we're going to give time and we're going to mm. listen. And we're going to seek to understand. And if it's painful for you, we're going to sit with you in the pain, all that kind of stuff. So lots of important heart stuff. I think when it comes to head stuff, I think, I mean, yeah, various things we could say. It's always helpful to help people see why we're saying stuff, not what we're saying. So it'd be easy to come in with, well, the Bible says a biology male should live as a boy, which means you need to start changing how you dress and return to your name, all that kind of stuff. Which just sounds like God's just this weird controlling person who doesn't care about me and how I feel myself and that kind of thing. And actually the way to present it is God's the God who made you, mm. who knows you, who loves you, mm. who wants what's best for you. And sometimes even what we feel inside are best for us isn't actually. And it mm. makes sense that the God who created us and the God who loves us wants what's best for us. We, he, we know he knows what's best for us because he created us. And we know he wants what's best for us because he sent his son to die for us. How could he uh, more demonstrate yeah. his love? How can he not want what's good for us if he does that? And so actually, then when we're talking about what might it look like if you want to be a faithful follower to Jesus, or even just why does, what does God say, it's not God's got this stick to beat you over the head with. It's his God's plan for actually what might be best for you, um, what works best for you. And, and I think I think we do that. I think we give the why, we bring in what scripture says. I think we can also gently show the problems of the alternative. There's, there's the problems of the idea that who I am inside is who I really am just helping people unpick is that the best way to find I am there's also just the problems with the whole narrative actually gently bringing in the reality of these transitions gently bringing in the risks of right. medical transition and I guess here I'm thinking it's all, one of the difficulties sorry is what does a youth leader do what's a parent do and that's a very difficult line to yes. yeah. Yeah. and I think if you get into this stage you talk about the problems you want a parent involved I just think we've got to be careful as, as yeah. youth leaders but, but, but certainly a point to draw from that is that um we should educate ourselves about yes. what those potential yes. risks are um, yeah, uh, to make sure we are actually understanding, you know, what our young people could potentially be setting themselves up for. Um, yeah. yeah, hugely. Yeah. So I think there's various ways, yeah, to explore the head stuff together and, and always showing people, young people, why we're doing that. And I think, like we said on the Central Aids podcast, journeying that together, reading something together, looking at the word of God together, um, not just, yeah, hit them over the head with an answer. And then I think you come to hope, and, and this one is very difficult as well. On the one level of the hope, there's there's potentially distress and suffering. And so it's how does, what well, the Bible says, help us with that. How does uh, lament help us? How does relationship with God and with other people help us? And that's, and there's loads of good resources we as Christians have in the Bible and Christian traditions deal with suffering. I wonder though, in reality, if actually many of our young people, although we would say, yes, probably it's rooted in some distress somewhere, many of our young people aren't distressed about this. They're excited to be embracing their true self. Right. So actually, I, th- I think that's the interesting 
interesting dynamic and difficulty yes, because yes, they're, they're yes. likely still thinking of it as their true self as diversity not as suffering so yeah. really what you do in the practical hope stuff depends on where you are there i think and i mean this is just so complicated again this is a blurred line between parents and probably it's more relevant to parents if i say it. i think being aware of the fact that often for teenagers an experience of gender dysphoria is rooted in other factors there's many of them trauma internalized homophobia stereotypes social impacts all manner of kind of things and it strikes me therefore the sensible route is to explore those uh, more than anything so so one thing there is not focusing on agenda don't allow gender to become the be all end all about this young person try and stop them allowing it to become the be all end all in them and actually think are the other things mental health co-occurring mental health conditions are really really common if there's mental health problems there's depression anxiety ocd get support and help for that not for the gender stuff for that because that yeah. is likely a contributing factor and, and we as youth leaders pastors can support in the ways we we should do in terms of mental health um so th that is by far the hardest thing it's hard because there's not an well there's kind of agreement but the wrong agreement in society of what to do it's hard because because of that, we as loose leaders need to be very careful about how involved we're getting and allowing parents to have their mm. place and stuff. But I do in general think that is the way to to go and to explore. Yeah, really, really good. So, so much wisdom there, Andrew. Again, though, um, just conscious that, well, I guess first to say, you know, as with all pastoral issues, it's poetry, not maths, isn't it? Yes. So yes. we can't give you, well, here are the seven steps you need to take in order to disciple a young person with their gender identity. No, it, you, we need the leading of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We need wisdom, nuance. We need to educate ourselves. We need to listen well and respond accordingly. So all, all of that's really helpful. And, and secondly, to say we know uh, we're only going to be able to scratch the surface of, of this in this podcast conversation. So um, once again, can I, can I ask you... Um, Next steps for us, if we want to read more, educate ourselves, if we want to uh, get some more understanding, any any resources that will help us as we journey with with our young people uh, around this stuff? Yeah, we've got a number of resources uh, on the Living Out website, livingout.org, and so they try to grow our pool of resources on trans-related issues and our young people as well. So you find various things there, quite a lot from me on that topic. I'll do a little plug for my writing, a short book called People Not Pronouns, um, published by Grove Books, which is is that um, uh, heart, head, hope response thing in right. a little bit more detail. It's a short booklet, it's an easy read, and I hope it's a good first stop kind of introduction to the topic. The best book for Christians in this topic is by Preston Sprinkle. It's called Embodied. came out just this year, I think. It's a substantial paperback, but by far the best and most comprehensive Christian treatment. Really is excellent. He, of his own admission, would say the thing that's lacking more based on space, I think, than anything is, is engagement on youth-specific stuff. There's a very good chapter on rapid onset genders for him on young people. Yeah. He himself would say he wished he had more space to do that. And I think the reality is for certainly for for lay people, not medical people like uh, lay people yourself and I, there isn't a lot written yet um, for parents, youth leaders, and stuff specifically on this. So I kind of point to those. Another shout out I'd make is for especially for parents who are trans identifying teens is Bayswater Support Group. Bayswater are um, a secular organisation, so not Christian at all, but have a lot of good wisdom. Uh, and, and, and support groups for parents of trans-identifying teens, which some of my medical professional friends who are Christians tell me are very good and can be helpful things. So that and also Transgender Trend, who are again, a secular group, but very helpfully questioning the diversity perspective, doing lots of helpful research and different things, and just good advice for parents whose young people might be trans-identifying. Yeah, secular, so not good group, everything, but actually, it is an awful lot of helpful wisdom from them as well. They're both websites, those two, yeah. And of course, uh, the Living Out website is yeah, that helpful space there. for yeah. blogs and um, uh, yeah. lots of good stuff that we can read on there. So helpful, you know, uh, Andrew. I, I, I kind of have this uh, little dream in, in the back of my head, and, and we'll, we'll finish with this uh, where I would just love it if um, when a young person has got questions about their own gender identity their thought was you know what i need to do is i need to i need to go to church yeah because yeah. that will be a space i know that'll be a space where i'll be able to talk freely 
yeah. where I won't be judged, where I'll be listened to, where I'll be welcomed and even, you know, loved enough to be challenged. Mm. I would just love it if we, the church, could be that. And, you know, too often we're known for what we're against rather than what we're for. But what did yeah. Jesus say by this? Will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another? And in all of this, love is our first and most important response, isn't it? Yeah. And perhaps it sounds simple, um, but if it's good enough for Jesus, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good enough so for good. us. Andrew, thank you so much uh, once again for joining us on the Limitless Leadership Podcast. This has been so helpful, so instructive, so informative. We'll be sure to link to some of those resources in the in the show notes for further reading. Uh, and of course, uh, we are uh, looking forward to you joining us at Limitless Festival in the summer uh, to do a seminar with us as well. So that's going to be great. Thank you, everybody, uh, for listening. Uh, to the Limitless Pod, uh, Leadership Podcast again today. Uh, so, so good to have you with us. And um, just remember uh, that the Lord is with you. I mean, I know it, it, it could perhaps sound trite to say, but the promise of Jesus as we go and make disciples is that surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. And I know that it's complicated and I know that it's tricky and challenging. And I know it's so easy to say or do, uh, the wrong thing but you know with my god i can advance against the troop with my god i can scale a wall god is with you as you go courageously uh, into a, a a secular society that wants to shut down biblical orthodoxy and as with grace and truth you uh, you bravely engage in these topics the spirit of god is with you um, so keep going don't give up what you're doing is so so important guys Thanks for listening to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. I'll look forward to seeing you at Limitless One on the 12th of, uh, 12th of February. Uh, don't forget to grab your tickets from limitlesselim.co.uk forward slash one. And we'll see you next time on the Limitless Leadership Podcast. <laughs>